0: Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. Hi, all, and welcome back. If you are just finding this podcast, please, please go back and start somewhere else, either back to the start or at least back six months or so. This is my first podcast since we lost my 13-year-old son, Miles. It's a bit heavy, I'm afraid. It has been hard to sit down and write, to know what to say, to feel like I have anything to give anyone. I'm afraid that I might not seem as upbeat and that people may think I'm too much of a bummer that my voice may shake or that I might say something that makes someone cry. But then I realized this is where I am and this may be where you are too. If I can survive this, which I believe is one of the hardest things in human existence, then maybe you will have hope that you can survive this challenge in your life. I believe there is a beauty in sharing how I'm working through this with all of you. For the first episode back, I want to circle back to a post from a listener about what other people say and do after a crisis. Her post brought up so many questions and scenarios, and I think I will break it up into a few podcasts and relate it to my experience of grief as well. Since having cancer is losing the future you thought you had, which is so similar to losing the future we thought we had as a family of six. Then I want to share what I have realized makes any truly life-altering crisis a little better. The listener writes, Sometimes cancer makes us reevaluate our social circles. I've heard of people being suffocated by well-meaning helpers, people who ask way too many questions. For me, it brought out help from people that I didn't expect, and from others, a sterile silence. For example, people I work with didn't do so much as send a get well card, and only one reached out. One time to check on me. How do you integrate back into work with people who don't seem to care about your well being, even though through time you've been there for them in their times of need? To the follower who left this message, I'm so sorry you had that experience. It is hard to feel that people in our lives don't value us as much as we might value them. It is heartbreaking to think that someone doesn't care about our suffering. It is understandable that during this tremendously difficult time in your life, you want all hands on deck and want to feel that everyone has your back. I have seen and experienced some of these things as well. One of the things that was very surprising to us is that some of the people we didn't expect were a rock in our storm. Some of our extended family that we had never been especially close to before were integral to surviving this. And some people I thought would be there didn't even call. I know for certain my thoughts about this made the experience easier for me. First, I decided to put my focus on all the people who were there and begging to do something, anything, and completely put those who weren't out of my head. I decided that I would tell the truth about where I am and not apologize for it. For us, The question of being suffocated by well-meaning helpers could have been the biggest challenge for us. Everyone wanted to see us, hug us, talk to us. Initially, we didn't invite in everyone who showed up at our house, and we decided not to feel guilty and beat ourselves up about that. I didn't answer the phone unless I actually wanted to talk to the person. I gave myself permission to answer all texts with just a heart emoji, A friend set up a meal train, which, by the way, is the most beautiful invention of all time. Mealtrain.com. People can sign up for a date and with what food they want to bring. You can provide updates. It is amazing. I have been documenting our journey on ours, and it has been therapeutic for me and our loved ones. Anyway, having a schedule of who was bringing food limited the people showing up unannounced and with unplanned food. This was actually really important to me because it upsets me to throw out huge quantities of food. When we see people, some want to ask a lot of questions. Some want to pretend it is the same as before. Both are painful and hard. It seems like no one can resist asking, are you okay?" I personally have a very hard time lying and saying I'm fine. But to talk extensively about the accident and other details is a guarantee of waterworks. When people ask questions that are too hard to answer, I use honesty. It's just too hard for me to rehash all of that right now. Take a look at the meal train updates. They explain a lot. Or, it's so nice to know you care. I'm sure you can understand how hard this is to talk about. The ones that want to pretend everything is fine and nothing has changed, sometimes they are just what we need. And sometimes it feels like a lie to be with them. I choose carefully who to be around. And if I don't feel that I can handle the type of person I know they are, I allow myself to lovingly and politely ask for a rain check on whatever we were going to do. And what about the ones who don't call or anything? There's a family member that I'm shocked has not texted, called, or even sent a private Facebook message since all of this happened. And I have no idea why. My thought, they will reach out when they are ready. This might just be too much for them right now. My work family sent a group card, but then we're quiet. Here again, we get to decide what we think. I decided that they were giving me time, space, and privacy, and that they would be there when I was ready. And for sure, as I reached out to them with open arms when I came back to work, they reached back. I think if I had not come back to work, and spoken to them about things, they would have continued the respectful silence. We can decide silence means they don't care, or we can decide silence means they respect us and our privacy. If you are questioning this right now, what is the downside to thinking that, to giving all of the people around you the benefit of the doubt? Because truly, if we think it is just because they don't care, really, we're the only ones that suffer. What this does mean though, is that sometimes we have to be the ones to break the ice. A statement like, I missed you guys, it's good to be back, can open the door for conversation. And if unlike me, your work family does not welcome you back with hugs and love, you get to decide what you will make that mean, both about them and about you. For me, in what others say, I have to say there have been two big challenges. First is the religious folks who tell me that the death of my youngest son is somehow part of God's plan. I do not believe that any of the awful things that happen on this planet are designed to make us miserable. I believe that this is part of the human condition, and that both good and bad will enter every life. I have to say, before this, I felt like I had the very best life of anyone I knew, and now I think that it might be one of the worst I've seen with losing both my mom and my son in just a week. But I am pretty sure nothing makes grieving parents or cancer patients want to punch someone in their face more than telling them that this is God's plan or God only gives us what we can handle. I will fully admit these have challenged my ability to choose how I want to think about what they say. But I have adopted the thought that the people who say these things have never faced true trauma and are unable to put themselves in our shoes out of fear or ignorance. Is this true? Who knows? But it allows me to deal with them with as much grace as possible. Unfortunately, at work, when someone says this, I may not be able to tell them how what they said really makes me feel, which would be that they just stabbed me in the heart with a rusty, serrated fishing knife. But I am able to say, I'm happy if thoughts like that give you comfort, but for me, it really doesn't, and end the conversation there. If it were outside of work, I would again resort to honesty and tell the person how hard it is for me to think that something so terrible is part of any plan and ask that they keep their religious commentary to themselves. The second big challenge is those who want to tell me how to grieve. I shouldn't be back at work so soon. I should be back full-time. I should be having more good days. I shouldn't cry so easily. I shouldn't share my journey on Facebook because it makes other people sad or anxious. I want to tell everyone who is listening to this, no one gets to decide how we grieve except us. If you are sad about having cancer and you want to cry, be angry, go out more, go out less, talk to family more or less, read more or less or think about new crazy things that question the workings of the universe, you get to. At some point, we all need to figure out how to live in this new life that is our reality. Because resisting the reality we are actually in doesn't get us anywhere. Continuing to ask, why was it me that got breast cancer? Or why was it my child who died in a car accident? Not helpful, better questions, How can I survive this? How can I someday even thrive despite this? But to anyone who thinks they know how to grieve better than anyone else, I would say we are all different in how we process trauma and grief in how we work through losing the life we thought we had and coming to terms with the life we actually have. There is no timeline on grief. We will each be done it when we are done it. And if you are someone who feels positive about your cancer, hopeful, grateful, and unafraid, guess what? No one gets to tell you you should worry more or take it more seriously. We are all exactly where we need to be, unless you think you truly just can't survive and go on. If you feel that bereft, then you need to reach out for help to the professionals. I will tell you, I have depended greatly on my primary doctor during this. I have increased my antidepressants twice with him since this happened, and I've added a prescription to make sure I am getting sleep, because I'm surviving, even if I'm far from thriving, until I don't sleep, and then I feel like maybe I can't survive this. So we need to be aware when we think we really can't do this, and get help when we need it. Now I want to share the most important thing I have learned from losing Miles. Gratitude actually does make everything better even losing the person you loved most on the planet. I'm going to share a bit of a blog entry I wrote about this journey. Three months ago, I was asked to film a video for the hospital on gratitude. It's something that I truly believe improves our experience of life. So I was excited to do this. Then we lost miles. The date drew near where I was supposed to do the segment and the administration asked if I wanted to delay a few months. And in my heart, I knew a few months was not going to make any difference. I'm still going to be missing miles in the deepest depths of my soul. But I also know if I can find gratitude now, how much will that move the people who watch the video in the future? So I curled my hair, put on some makeup and did the segment. I think it will be amazing and I will share it when it's released. But it reminded me that in the worst times, a gratitude practice helps us to have resilience. It helps us to see what blessings we do have. And one of the blessings of this is realizing how many people we have touched over the years, how many people love us, how many people would do anything they could to make us feel better, how many people have offered whatever it is they have to lighten our load. A true reminder that in this world, We reap what we sow. This has been a learning experience for me. As a physician, I am very used to giving freely, but less used to taking as freely. In this time, friends have offered food, companionship, open arms across the board. But I want to share some of the amazing things people have done because the gratitude and recognition of these things truly has lightened the load. It restores my faith, that humanity is actually loving, kind, and beautiful. Friends have offered yoga, Pilates, and massages to help me feel better physically, and declined payment. An artist drew an amazing picture of Miles that somehow has given me something that photographs don't. Friends have literally driven through flooding or found and installed a car seat in their car to pick up family from the airport as they arrived for the memorial. A friend came and hung a wall of photos of Miles. People have mailed books they thought would help, collected and printed the pictures they had of Miles from years past, showed up with sushi and a case of mini bottles of Prosecco, because I told them opening a full bottle was an invitation to drink it all, which was currently not helping me. They have offered to make a quilt of his t-shirts, taken me for lunch at a lavender farm, and brought brownies that I love. Grubhub gift cards so we could eat what we wanted some days, and others who made whatever they make best to nourish us. Offers of people's vacation or rental homes to get away and have a break in a new place. Letters from children that Miles had touched over the years sharing their love for him, which were so unbelievably priceless. The huge number of people who have donated to Miles's memorial fund so many of whom I have never actually met in real life and even more things that I'm sure I'm forgetting right now. The gratitude makes this easier, but I don't want you to think that means that we're good. Life feels like the perpetual twilight of a storm without Miles's light in it. Tears are always close to the surface and overflow multiple times a day. I didn't know I had this many tears in me. So today, I offer this, grief and loss is part of our human existence. We will all face challenges, but when we do know that you're not alone, look for those who come out of the woodwork to support you and embrace them wholeheartedly. Because we get to decide how we think about this and how we think about the people around us. And we can do it in a way that makes this easier or we can do it in a way that makes this harder. You get to choose. Okay, my friends. I made it through my first episode back after this, and I will speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.